welcome to the CSU Relentless Gardener podcast. I am Colorado State University specialist in horticulture, Linda Langelo, and joining me today is Melissa Schreiner, entomologist in Colorado State University Extension in the Tri-River area. Now let us get to the heart of it, where we explore the horticulture topic of Japanese beetles in Western Colorado. Hello, Melissa, glad you could join me. Thank you for having me, Linda. I'm very pleased to be here to share some on this local issue for us here in in the West. Unbelievable. You know, back in when I was on the East Coast, yeah, Japanese beetles were very invasive. And then to come many years forward, and to be in Colorado, and uh, knock on wood, they are not in eastern Colorado, okay? And I never thought they'd be in western Colorado. So tell us a little bit about the Japanese beetle, and where is its origin? So the Japanese beetle is native of Japan, and around the turn of the 19th century, around 1916, the World's Fair um, received some material from Japan, some potted plants that were likely the source of the Japanese beetle. Um, these beetles, when they're young, they're in the grub stage. They live within soil media with high organic matter, and they they can be easily vectored by humans to new areas unknowingly um, if that material is untreated. And what happened was this material arrived from Japan in 1916 for the World's Fair. And unfortunately, that pest, um, the, the cat got out of the bag and it slowly spread east. And with the amount of precipitation that just naturally occurs in eastern states, that humidity and moisture allows for, you know, countless acres of suitable habitat for the Japanese beetle. And in turn, pretty much every eastern state and midwestern state now have established and damaging populations of this pest. And as as time ticks on, it slowly moves westward. And so there are there are certain areas of western states that are starting to battle the Japanese beetle, unfortunately so. And in our area of western Colorado, we have, you know, over, you know, markets of hundreds of millions of dollars of tree fruit and grapes and agritourism. And there's a lot of concern here. Um, there was a time that the Japanese beetle was actually found in Western Colorado before, and it was defeated. So that population was successfully controlled out of the Palisade area in the early 2000s. Um, some, there's some differences between that detection and the detection we have from last summer in terms of location and the presence of a pest district. So many folks don't know what a pest district is, but when this beetle was found the first time in Palisade, it was within that district and it allowed for tax dollars to be used to, to kill the beetle in the early 2000s, which was successful within a matter of a few years. And the difference now, having it been found in the city of Grand Junction, outside of a pest district this time last year in July of 2022 there there unfortunately is there there wasn't necessarily a pest district there wasn't really infrastructure or plans in place but this this would be normal um in the state of Colorado we're very different than a lot of western states 
in terms of how our legislation is built. Um, like Oregon and Utah, the State Department of Ags in those states have authority to control pests on private property. However, in Colorado, it's different. So the Department of Agriculture does not have authority in the state of Colorado to control pests like the Japanese beetle on private property. That authority falls on the county and on the city, which is an incredible burden. And um, frankly, there's been some big moves over the last few weeks made by Mesa County to declare the Japanese beetle an, in, in a, an emergency pest, basically. They're, they're saying it's a nuisance pest, and this is going to be an effort that they're going to attempt to fight. So in earlier earlier this month in March, they our county commissioners declared that this is, we're in a state of emergency about the Japanese beetle because we we risk it moving into agriculture and affecting export to the West if it establishes in the Grand Junction area. Yeah, if if it gets as out of hand as you know it can, it's going to devastate crops. And this little guy traveled from the New York World's Fair, I'm assuming, all the way here. And now, you know, you factor in our climate and all of the extremes that are happening. Uh, and there's nothing really solid as a predaceous insect over it. And it's just having the time of its life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so within invasive species of all kinds, invasive insects, invasive plants, they they lack their natural predators. Those environmental conditions even are lacking. They're they're in a totally new place, um, having a grand old time um, in a system that nothing is suppressing them. Their population very readily expands due to those circumstances, and they blow up out of control. Um, it was thought that maybe the cold winters out west would help to stop the Japanese beetle. And with how insulated soil is, the soil is always much warmer than above surface ground. And those grubs that are overwintering get low enough in the soil to be insulated. And um, they survive the winter here. Well, it's just innate in their DNA, you know, this period. That's what, you know, they're going to do what they can do to survive and they found a niche and they're gonna stay there. And unless we have, like you say, all of the infrastructure on every level, county, state, federal, then we're gonna slip up and there's gonna be an opening and here they are. So, so what are some of the Japanese beetles' favorite plants to consume? So, Really, what isn't their favorite is the question. So they are, to science, they're documented to feed on over 300 plants. Though it's not like the world will go up in flames if the Japanese beetle is there. But they feed on, most commonly, dozens of common landscape plants, our irrigated turf grass out west, vegetable gardens, Perennials, annuals of many kinds, landscape plants like Virginia creeper that crawl along fence lines. Grape is one of their favorites. So we're worried about it becoming established in the area for if it moves into, let's say, out of county, into Delta County sweet corn grown in Olathe, very famous um, to our area and to Colorado. California or Utah may not want to accept that produce from Colorado. And that would, we would, 
lose that market. Essentially, all of those growers would have to jump through hoops, even if they could export that material. So we're very worried for that reason. Um, I think the hot spots of the Japanese beetle are going to be around their favorite plants. So parks and neighborhoods and um, golf courses are going to be hot spots in Colorado because they have a high percentage of that irrigated turf grass, which is what adults need for egg laying. And it's what their babies or the grubs need for survival. Um, they feed on the the roots of certain plants, but mainly grasses. And so when it comes to control, that's really when we have to stop the Japanese beetle is before it becomes an adult. So eggs and early instar larvae, there's products that are applied in the spring. So the future population of Japanese beetles are controlled. Um, so that there's getting, lots of plans are getting put into place to try to do a big treatment of, of the hot zone in Grand Junction area. So those plans are forming as, as we speak really. Well, that's good to know. So tell folks a little bit about their life cycle in Colorado so they know when and what to look for. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to mention that we have lots of C-shaped scarab grubs in Colorado. Um, this is a scarab, the Japanese beetle, and it's very similar to some of our native grub species. So we do have grubs that impact our lawns um, that folks just may want to be paying attention to the life cycles of those for that reason. But they're all fairly similar. Over the winter, they develop as a mid to late instar grub. So they're completing that phase over the winter time. Um, really, the spring when it warms is when they, they come up higher to the surface within the soil. They're insulated lower throughout the coldest months of the winter. And when it warms, it allows that grub more mobility and activity, and it moves up to the soil surface and begins feeding on those growing turf roots mainly. So Kentucky bluegrass lawns, other, other lawns, not necessarily past pasture land in Colorado, that dries out too in um, too frequently for them to really be suitably able to establish in pasture land. But the grubs mature throughout the spring and then they pupate, which means that's the that's the transition phase between the young and the adult phase of the insect. And at some point around the 4th of July, they come out in masses, the adults emerge all at once um, over maybe a, you know, a week or so. Certain areas of the environment will have adults hatching depending on the suitability of the, the temperature and the moisture. But um, overall, it's pretty much a uniform hatch of adults across an area. And then they begin feeding on all our favorites. They are on the Virginia creeper. They're in linden trees. They're in roses. Um, they, they affect many, many plants and um, crab apples and peach trees and backyards. I know on the front range have been very have been hit very hard. Um, so but in terms of damage quantification, there's not a lot out there showing exactly the damage that Japanese beetle can do. We think it would affect maybe up to 10 percent of production in in tree fruit and grape. Um, but for the most part, these adults, after they've hatched, they mate and they're feeding on plants. And then at some point, those impregnated female beetles will start laying eggs in irrigated turf grass um, in sometime in July. So ideally, products at that time are already have been applied to the lawn. And they're very safe products. There's reduced risk pesticides that Mesa County actually plans on even using. Um, safe for the applicator, safe on bees, safe on pets. and Anyone, any of the homeowners, any children, there's um, not even a bee label on the product, a celeprin that will be used by the county. 
Well, that's good to know. That's good. What is the history of Japanese beetle in Colorado? So in Colorado, and I mentioned before that the city of Palisade has data to support that they have successfully eradicated this beetle from 2003 to 2009. So around that same time, the beetle was also found in the Denver area. And for for whatever reason, there was not aggressive control done immediately. And because of that, it has successfully established or um, it's definitely made it's it's a uh, it's time to stay um, on the front range for the Japanese beetle. And unfortunately, there are certain hotspots in the Littleton and the Denver metro area, but pretty much from, from Pueblo up to Fort Collins, there are populations. I don't know about the Colorado Springs area, but there's a pretty solid block of, of established beetles on the front range. And um, it just, it really is an uncontrollable population at this point. When did you start noticing Japanese beetle had arrived in western Colorado? So the area is is heavily monitored not only by that pest district I mentioned in Palisade, so by where all our grapes and our tree fruit is grown, there are active monitoring traps, but there's also traps statewide that are manned by certified nurseries, registered nurseries with the Colorado Department of Agriculture. And this is a program that they are paying the CDA to do monitoring so that they can say, we as a company are sourcing the material in the way that we are supposed to, abiding by quarantine laws. And they're working to make sure that they're that first detector if there ever is a beetle brought into their facility. So often nurseries, garden centers have active trapping programs. And it was one of those traps at Book Cliff Gardens in downtown Grand Junction that had active traps. And thank goodness that they did because it was one of those highly attractive traps that ended up catching beetles. And initially it was thought, oh no, potentially beetles were brought in by this nursery. And upon two records checks, they've come back totally sparkly clean. The nursery abided by all laws they were supposed to. And it was because of their trap being in place that those beetles were first caught and then the CDA expanded traps outward and found a very dense population concentrated over four or five subdivisions in Grand Junction. Likely, we will never know how it arrived, whether it was a few years ago then a, that an adult came in on someone's car and slowly that population built up. That's a possibility. The possibility of an unregistered rogue landscape contractor not registered with the Department of Agriculture potentially unknowingly moved material, maybe sod grass from an area that it shouldn't have been moved to the western slope the way that it was. It could have been potted plants that geraniums, maybe you spent four or $500 on beautiful potted plants either in the Salt Lake area where they're fighting a population of Japanese beetle or potentially from the established population on the Front Range or one of the eastern states or midwestern states that have Japanese beetle, potentially plant material was moved from one of those avenues. That's pretty much all we'll ever know is that untreated plant material was moved to the area. And with that spike in adults, it's, it is possible that it came in on sod, but we can never know for sure. It's almost like you need a uh, county to county inspection, you know, 
I'm sorry, you can't move plants from this county to this county until we've inspected them. You've been to Denver today and you're coming back home. Sorry, you know, that's wow. The movement of plant material is something folks, you know, with EAB, um, we were moving firewood everywhere um, for the ash borer. And unfortunately, folks just didn't know. And that's how it spread across the whole country is because it came in someone's truck um, from out east. And it's it's not common to think about the biology we're moving around in our truck tires, the weed seeds, in our boots, and just different things that are constantly moved around. We, through driven by trade and transportation, invasive species move through those avenues on hitchhiking rides vectored by human beings. That's amazing. The, the number of ways that an insect can come here and so I don't know if you'll have an answer for the next question, but why do you think a population of Japanese beetles arrived in a residential area on the Western Slope in 2022? Does anybody definitively know? Really, the answer is we we will never prove it. Um, we can pretty much say that it wasn't Book Cliff because they pass records check saying that they bought and sourced material from all appropriate areas. That material hadn't been inspected. And their trap numbers were relatively low compared to the trap numbers in this neighborhood. So it really seems by concentrating traps in the neighborhood, there was a very helpful map established by the Colorado Department of Agriculture, Mesa County IT, and CSU Extension to some extent helped to get that map launched so we know where the beetles are somewhat concentrated but how they arrived as i described they they could come in on potted plants they could come in on untreated sod regardless the material was untreated and some larvae likely were moved unknowingly into the area by a homeowner or by a contractor that unfortunately and very likely didn't didn't mean to do that um, but unknowingly did so and that biology was was moved around in a way it really shouldn't have been. So, well, being in the soil of a potted plant, nobody's going to know. Absolutely, and some of these bigger potted plants that you've spent a lot of money on, not only the pot to contain that soil media. Soil media is expensive. All of the amendments to that media are expensive. Maybe you have vermiculite in there. Your seeds or your your plants that you've transplanted in there are. It all adds up and is a price and folks don't want to just for the heck of it if you're just moving over the continental divide um who knows i mean it could have been material that was purchased by a local from an area and it was moved in it, i mean there's so many ways and i i do want to stress that we will we won't know and i think it's it's often it's been a very common question i've received throughout this process how did they get here who's to blame and i've really tried to spin it around to folks and say it came in on untreated plant material we we can advocate that we may never know there's so many avenues why don't we be a part of the solution and nip it in the bud and let's get a plan together and instead of pointing fingers i think we need to work more collaboratively to solve the the issue at hand we have detected a population of japanese beetle in the grand junction area it's been declared an eradication zone and there's only 239 beetles caught. That's that's a population that's breeding, but that is not like the 1,200 or the over 2,000 beetles that have been caught out of Utah, over five counties. So 
we actually have somewhat of a centered population. For what we know now, more trapping is going to occur this year, manned by personnel at the Car Department of Ag. Um, they do have the authority to trap on private property, so they plan to lay out another big net of traps in a concentrated area. CSU Extension has received a grant. My entomology program is going to be putting out an additional 150 traps over unsurveyed area of Mesa County that we plan to train citizen scientists to man those traps and report data to us so that we have a bigger picture to provide the Department of Agriculture so we can really show if there are no other breeding areas of beetle, we wanna be able to tell the Department of Ag that data. So we're manning those traps in a way that they can use every last one of those 150 traps and the data from them. So we're hoping to see zeros, but we do plan to survey areas CDA would otherwise not survey this year just due to the bandwidth and um, the price of it. So we've gotten that money from Colorado State University Agricultural Experiment Station um, and through some of the folks involved in the wine industry. Um, so really wonderful to see some support coming in. There are some donations being sent to the county. Um, folks are really starting to talk and come together. Um, it's it's happening um, with this right on, you know, treatment right around the bend. Um, the county is going to pull together funding to treat about a thousand properties in that area. And they're going to provide free treatment as long as folks consent to that. They're going to ask for folks instead of enforcing it first, which they have the authority to do. It's their decision to act on that authority. But their plan is to ask for help from these private property owners. Um, Commissioner Bobby Daniels in Mesa County grew up in Palisades. She actually lives in the hot zone. She's leading this effort in terms of the Mesa County commissioners and their plan for control over the next several years. So lots to come, lots of data to gather this year. Well, that's wonderful to hear because it really, in a case like this, takes everybody to be on board if one segment is absent then you know another population will be breeding and you have you're you have to start from ground zero again correct and, and that's a lot of money that's going towards this effort well i'm i'm glad to hear that that people are getting on board so tell people a little a bit about the citizen scientist japanese beetle trapping project so, so this project is going to train master gardeners and selected volunteers. We only have 150 traps. So I think that with about the master gardeners that we have just in Mesa County, hopefully we get heavy participation from those folks and interest in the program. Um, we hope to provide them training up front on the trap setup. All supplies will have been purchased by CSU Extension from funding through the Agriculture Experiment Station. And so folks will essentially, if they want to be trained as a citizen scientist and use their property, what we will need is an address and we're going to map all of the areas where traps go out and link the data to those traps using ArcGIS. And we're going to create a really big map showing areas in somewhat of a random way we're going to distribute traps through the volunteers that we have available after we have confirmed they live in an area that's not otherwise being surveyed. So we hope to spread that net even farther this year over Mesa County to detect if there are other breeding populations, because without data, we can't say one way or another. So we hope to get that data to the Department of Ag to show that there is a massive effort to get data 
for the Tri-River area, but mainly it will be focused in Mesa County this year where the population was detected last year in July. Well, that's great to have all that training and volunteers going on. I almost think that, you know, it's not here on the plains yet. And so maybe some of that training should be occurring and we should have traps in other counties that don't have it yet so that we can say it's not arrived, it's arrived and what we can do about it a lot quicker. It's almost like, you know, the master gardeners and all these volunteers are the bug police out there. Yes. The eyes and the ears, citizen scientists is is a really important project for folks. It allows us to get 150 more traps out. And I will I will not be manning those myself. I will be confirming the data coming from them to be sure if any insect ends up in there. The, the the trapper will send um, a notification to extension and we will go out and be able to say yes or no, this is a Japanese beetle. So ultimately, they will receive some training on insect identification, but the final decision will be coming from, from the entomologist on what's in those traps so that we can really confirm for CDA that there was no question on that this was a Japanese beetle. And, ah. and mainly, I feel... This is going to be a really important project for for providing that data we otherwise don't have. So we feel that it's a smart project. And um, if um, if folks across the state wanted to start to have a conversation about some some survey work, especially where we. To town vectored by people, maybe in shipments of material. Um, so I think if there are areas, um, even if they're little islands of turf grass out in the plains, there could be data points that we are gathering. Um, and Western Colorado as well, our area is pretty actually heavily surveyed considering all of the agriculture and horticulture out here. But however, there's lots of areas in Colorado that simply we need more data. And so I think extension could play a really big role in you know having a statewide conversation. I'm really trying to start. Um, Amongst, you know, extension agents on the front range, um, there's been discussions within the horticulture PRU within extension about how we can be encouraging folks to plant and buy material rather locally, reducing that long, that risk of um, transporting material over long distances, especially from areas with beetle. Not to say that you can't. There are programs that allow this to be legal, but it is a higher risk to buy material from areas that have known populations. Things, unfortunately, slip through the cracks, even when they're heavily regulated. So buying locally and planting locally is smart. So those potted geraniums or, you know, wonderful potted plants that you have, um, they may need to stay with a neighbor when you move somewhere that doesn't have Japanese beetle, especially if you're in an impacted area. Um, just simple decisions like that can can prevent biology from moving around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, there's some great volunteers out there other than master gardeners, but Absolutely. our own master gardeners can be a great source of your eyes and your ears and your boots on the ground. And so, you know, if our PRU and horticulture decides to do training for all master gardeners statewide, we can really 
be a big help. Yeah, and traps are going to be most effective. Trap monitoring will be effective in areas where we don't have established populations. So out in the eastern plains or potentially scattered across the western slope in random areas like Aspen or just areas that we know have, yes, they're high in elevation, but they have lots of irrigated turf grass, beautiful golf courses, parks. Um, we, you know, we wonder about some of those areas. And I think that we could be working a little closely together with an extension to make this happen. And the conversation has started. So I think that there's a lot to come from extension in terms of Japanese beetle monitoring. But it's important to remember in areas on the front range that have such high populations, traps are just going to act as a beacon to your property. And that's just going to attract more beetles to you where they're all across the landscape that will happen. But in areas like Grand Junction, for example, this population that's been detected, we can use traps to delineate really important data. If they're not graded out, that could spread the population. We're concentrating them all in one point. So all the beetles in the area end up in those traps. So hundreds of traps will be getting set out to capture adults that emerge and products are being applied to control any eggs and any young instars that hatch in lawns over about a thousand properties in Mesa County. And that is a phenomenal effort being put together by Mesa County Noxious Weed and Pest um, led by commissioners. So this is this is something we, we hope to declare our area as an eradication zone. Um, at least countywide, we have. So we hope we hope to really put on the map that we're making a tremendous effort to attempt to control this population to to ultimately protect urban spaces of Mesa County and eventually our horticulture. Well, at the end of the season this year, you'll have to come back with all your data and tell folks, you know, how things went and what you found. Absolutely. In the meantime. Do you suggest any predators to help control them for homeowners? You know, I, I want to talk a bit on biological control because where we're located and our lack of relative humidity makes things like parasitoid wasps and root nematodes and things that are somewhat more successful in other areas of the country more challenging to manage here because they just they dry up. There's just not simply enough humidity in the air for some of these biological products. And not to say that there may be an area that is receiving enough irrigation, let's say, to support nematodes. Um, those nematodes would have to be introduced every year. They don't overwinter. The cold kills them off, unfortunately, in Colorado. Um, there's nothing that is packing potentially enough punch to really lower that population of Japanese beetle, which is why CSU Extension in the Tri-River area recommended a product um, with an active ingredient called, this is a long word, but Clorantranilaprol is available to commercial pesticide applicators under the trade name Acelaprin. And if you hold a turf in license in the state of Colorado, you can spray lawns with a very safe product or retail markets have a granular product with that same active ingredient under the name Grub X or Scott's Grub X. So depending on the approach to management of lawns, that's really the recommendation because this is a newer product. It's very famous in the turf industry. It's used in commercial sod production for preventative control of, of grubs in that sod. 
It's what CDA Department of Ag in the state of Colorado is recommending to sod growers for controlling grubs. So it's fairly new and unknown in the ag industry. And we we consider it the gold standard um, for treatment. So biological control as as much as, you know, grub gone is a BT product that's considered biocontrol. It's a bacterium that can be applied. Um, BT is an acronym that's famous for that bacteria. Um, that is an option. However, I think we risk this spreading to horticulture. So we felt that by using a reduced risk product is kind of a wonderful solution. Um, really, this is a product that's safe on on everyone. And it has a residual in the soil for up to three months. It's a fairly new mode of action. It's not imidacloprid or merit that was used in Palisade that does have a hazard to people and to bees. This is a product that should work the same. It'll be for next year's grubs, not last year's that it's aiming to control. So there will be some adults that come out this year, but ultimately we will see numbers. We we feel very similar to what was shown in Palisade, that after that generation, that future generation is taking care of the following year, our trap data should show that we have impacted their population and have lowered it. That is, that's the goal. Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> yes, we do too. We hope to defeat it again. Um, it will be some serious plans getting put into place and it will be a multi-year long strategic plan um, to help protect this area over time. We have to create a lot of education around around this and, and remind our community of why they need to care about a little insect like the Japanese well, beetle. Well, I, I, I know you'll, you'll have a lot of hands helping because absolutely nobody likes a Japanese beetle. <laughs> no, especially if you're familiar with them. And I think even though our area defeated them in Palisade, we've had a lot of folks come from out of area in the last decade, myself included. I've moved to the Western Slope. Um, I'm a Colorado native. I grew up on the Front Range, but I've relocated even here as well. Lots of folks have done so. There's lots of new folks to be able to provide some education to. And CSU Extension in the Tri-River area, our entomology program is is attempting hard to educate regulators anyone going um, to accept the bids we hope to work with to provide education and then homeowner education as well. Lots of workshops ahead, um, lots of data to gather this year. Well, thanks for all this great information today. Absolutely, uh, Linda, thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And a thank you to the audience for listening. Tune in next time when we get to the heart of the matter on another horticulture topic.